0: Hello and welcome to Sobertown. This is King 13, and I am riding the train today into the wonderful world of sobriety. And here at Sobertown, we are a complete resource for you to help you on your sober path and your journey into sobriety. Um, If you're thinking about actually stopping, please join the I Am Sober community. It is where I belong, and also my guest today does too. And we found it, and it's a counter app, and it counts your days. You can post, you can make friends, you can comment, and it really is a supportive community that is available to you. So you have some great resources out there. And I found this woman through the community and I want to welcome her. And it's going to be really exciting because I've seen her a couple of times. and I was really impressed, but I don't know a lot about her. So I want to welcome MMC13 today. How are you? I am fabulous. Thanks for having me. No, it's my pleasure, you know, and I'm really lucky. I get to get around the community in the Zooms. And um, little Dev was telling me about you. So I did a little bit of research and I just want you to start where you feel comfortable starting and I'll take it from there with you. We'll have a chat.
1: Okay. <clears throat> so um, I guess probably the most logical place to start to me is, is back when I very first started drinking and uh, that was back around, uh, it was early teenage years. So I'd say my first drink was probably 13. My first buzz uh, was when I was 15. And a friend of mine's grandmother had run a liquor store for years. And so they had this basement full of booze. And uh, she stole a bottle of peach schnapps and brought it to the park. And the two of us drank it. And when it was <laughs> fun, I asked her if she could get more. Like, <laughs> if- Oh, my God indication
0: of things to come you know uh, no i'm i'm more impressed sorry MMC, by your first choice of drink because we don't usually pick what we end up ends up being our choice I had sure. something called Brandovino, and I don't even know. It was a mixture of, like, wine and lemonade. Oh, sorry, wine and brandy, and it was disgusting. But anyway, uh, you say pinch snaps just reminded me of that. So thanks for that horrible memory.
1: <laughs> Go on. Yeah, that, that's a, a hangover waiting to happen.
0: <laughs> right. Uh, those fruity <laughs>
1: drinks were not my thing. But, yeah, no. So, um, you know, I was really socially awkward as a teenager. I was bullied and picked on and I never really found my niche of people. And so middle school and high school years were really, really hard for me. Um, and alcohol turned out to be that social lubricant um, that kind of helped me find a, a corner where I felt like I fit in and started to gravitate to the other partiers. And um and so I I dropped out of high school when I was 16. And, um, I, uh, I, I went directly into the workforce and I was already working a part time job after work, but I, I really found my groove when I started working school was not a good fit for me. Um, but I really loved being an employee and, and, but it, it did again, kind of open that door a little more to hanging around with some older people. And it just seems like we always, we never had trouble getting our hands on booze, Mm -hmm. um, And so by the time I was 19, uh, I knew I already had a drinking problem. So I wasn't even legally the age to to start buying alcohol yet. But I remember, uh, you know, starting to experience my first bout of shakiness when I was probably 20, 21. Um, And I I was in my first apartment. There was always beer there. You know, it, it just became such a huge part of my life early on. Um, I had a job then that I would frequently oversleep and not show up on time. And uh, I had a coworker who just religiously covered for me at the time, which is why I never got fired from that job, but uh, probably should have.
0: <laughs> and uh, <clears throat> so let's see. Um, so that's kind of I'm just... I'm sorry, yeah. MMC, I can, I know this, there's a couple of Basset hounds in the background because I can hear them. Yes. <laughs> ah, they're making an appearance, I love it, sorry. That's right. That's funny, so we, listeners. This always happens, we bring the furries in, but go on, I love it. Sure, sure, yeah, we actually, we have uh, seven
1: dogs total in the house, two Bassets, two beagles. Uh, a Sharpei, a Boxer, and a pit bull. So that- yeah, we'll
0: get we'll we'll get to that. I know about the rescue <laughs> side, so we'll get to that. But <laughs> Absolutely. Let's go back to when you had this wonderful realization at just God sure. bless you, such a young age that you you had these things happening to you. Wow. Yeah, go yeah. On. Yeah. It started
1: it started really really young, and so my my twenties were really just full of you know blackout drinking and and um and I've I've always managed to get and keep pretty good jobs. Um, I got into the medical field early on, so um, I was 20, twenty-three, I think, when I got my uh, my first job in healthcare, and. Um, And it was beautiful at the time. I absolutely loved it because I worked three 12-hour shifts and I was off four days. And so essentially it was just four days of nonstop partying every week. Um, You know, my problems definitely escalated during that time. Um, I had a boss who I was really close with. um, And ultimately it was actually like a girl's night out with her that I confessed. She was the first person I ever told that I felt like I had a drinking problem. Um, and of course she'd written me up for tardiness and, you know, this, this was no came as no surprise to her really. Right. Um, so she encouraged me, we had a, an employee assistance program at the time at the hospital that I worked at. So you could get free counseling. And so she encouraged me to go through that. And so I started seeing a counselor and the counselor is the one who first introduced me to AA. Um, and so I got involved with AA when I was about 27 Um, and, um, stuck around it, you know, hung around. It didn't really get into the program the way it is for the first couple of years. I didn't, you know, try to get a sponsor. I didn't really follow any of the the things. I just hung around with sober people. Um, and I, I managed to get about two years sober that way. And then I, I had a relapse. Um, and I just, you know, from that point on, I knew, like my drinking was fucked, right? It, it was never going to get better. I knew it was a problem. Um, and by learning these resources and seeing these ways to try to get help, every time I had a relapse, I, I knew it wasn't where I wanted to be. Um, but I still really struggled um, to, to totally put it away. So I would, I would string together. You know, I had that two-year period. I had about nine months. I had another six-month period in there. Um, but I would always slip and the relapses got worse. Um, you know, rather than better. I would, I would drink, you know, I started drinking morning tonight. I started mixing other drugs in there. Um, and so uh fast forward a couple of years, same boss. Um, I ended up just calling in for work one day. And I was about three hours late already by the time I contacted her and I said, I'm going to rehab. Like, I, I can't do this. I'm a mess. I'm going to rehab, like trying to find somewhere today. And she was pissed, of course, because I, I actually was in a, a leadership role that at that point myself. So that kind of put a lot on her plate. Um, but she did end up, she called me back a little while later and she said, hey, you need to come in and do your FMLA paperwork so that we can we can protect your job. So, okay. So I went in the next day to do that. And when I got there, she was walking up the hall and she was in tears. She was sobbing. And, um, and she, you know, she almost wanted to walk right past me. She really did kind of walk right past me, but then she stopped in her tracks. She turned around, she gave me a huge hug and she said, you go get yourself well. And then she Mm -hmm. walking. and our other boss was there and I looked at her, you know, what's going on. And that boss's brother had died the night before uh, due to an overdose on alcohol and pills. And so that that was a big awakening moment for me. Um, I did go to a 30-day rehab, um, and I managed to stay sober for about seven and a half years after that. Um, and that was also in part, uh, mostly through AA. I got really involved in AA when I got back that time, and I worked with a sponsor, and I went to meetings, the 90s, right? right. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, I, I really kind of did everything that was advised and really built my sober community, surrounding myself with sober people and really kind of started to, to get the hang of it. Um, as a few years went by, I did ultimately drift away from the program again and, um, And and started to, so actually right around the start of COVID, it was not related to the pandemic, but um, I had started thinking that I might be interested in trying some moderations, moderated drinking. And so I started looking at resources for that and blah, 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 and decided to give it a shot. And uh, my goal was to try to moderate to one intoxicated night per week and no other days drinking and just, you know, Saturday night's (laughs) Get your party. on! Oh, God bless
0: you. I love yeah. the way you say it too. One moderation drunken night. Yeah. Because right. you know, we can, we can rationalize this at this point. Anyway, I can anyway, any way I want. Yeah, Go on. I'm just finding yeah, myself no. here. And it, and it was
1: the dumbest thing. It took my mom, like, like, you know, cause I talked to my mom. And of course my parents, my parents and I are close and they know my Good. home. And, uh, And mom and I were talking and, you know, the way I was referring to it was was I'm going to try some moderation, some moderated drinking. And and finally, at some point it came up that, you know, I I was I was drunk the night before and she's like, well, you know, at least you're finally admitting that your goal is to get intoxicated. And I that never clashed with the idea of moderation to me before that conversation. Mm. Like, Mm -hmm. and it was, and it was because in part of this group that I had gotten myself involved with, because one of their things was, you know, as long as you have a plan and you're sticking to your plan, you're not drinking, you you don't have, you're not drinking problematically. Right. And, um, but yeah, that, that, uh, really led to about, excuse me, a, um, almost a three year, two and a half year period of binge drinking. Um, And so that did coincide with the pandemic Um, and um, working remotely um, was a slippery slope for that, Um, particularly because you can wake up with a God awful hangover. And if you don't have to see anyone, you can still function, albeit poorly, Um, you know, I, I knew I was not operating to my full potential and I was sloppy and I was missing deadlines. Um, but I, I still somehow would tell myself I have this under control and it's, it's okay. And, you know, I can stop and all the, all the things we tell each other, uh, or tell ourselves. So, um, when I discovered IAS, um, it was, uh, September of last year. And I was looking intentionally for something that was not AA-based. Um, I've, I've discovered through this journey, um, there's just some things in the program that don't resonate well with me. And I've kind of had a hard time trying to refocus on that. And so I wanted to look for some alternative things that were out there, things that were maybe more focused towards women or not so uh, higher power-based. Um, those, those were items that I was just struggling with. And, uh, and so when I found I am sober, uh, it was, it was just this aha moment. It was beautiful to find other people that weren't necessarily defining their path to recovery, uh, on this one, you know, black and white, all or nothing path, um, that I, I find a, to be very rigid. Um, and I, I, think that, you know, uh, drinking problems are, are vastly different. Everybody has a different mm-hmm as, yeah. as we all know. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I love these alternative and the resources that are available here at the telegram chats and the zoom meetings. And, you know, there's lots of people who will give you advice on QuitLit that, that made a difference for them and really just getting involved on all these levels. Um, because I've still struggled. I've, I've had some slips even since I found IAS in September and I've, I've, uh, had to reset my, my, consecutive day counter a few times. Um, but you know, what, what all of this has taught me is that even, even in my AA time and every time that I've gotten a a good amount of sobriety behind me, it's that I'm really plugged into a community and I am really working on it every day. Um, and so that's definitely a major must for me at this point.
0: Look, there was so much there at MMC, um, and I agree with you. COVID, you know, and it's a huge time. I don't think we've even begun to see the aftermath of Mm -hmm. COVID. Um, I myself was in the same position too. The clock had no meaning. And that's when I realised, you know, you get sick and tired of just being sick and tired. And it was just so interesting. So I wrote here, the the day that you actually joined was September 22nd, it was day three. You said, when we start to feel better, our brains trick us. Into forgetting how bad it really was. Mm-hmm. Now you've talked about these. Like you, know, you have had a lot of experience. Seven years. You said it right there. You know that is. And, I, and I'm a great believer in percentages. the alcohol-free days compared to consuming days. Just period. So what like you just said. When you got involved and you started working it, that was a big thing. But going back to your family, before all this even became a problem, you? You said your parents. You had a really good like upbringing. Was there alcohol use disorder within the family? Is it a, a genealogical thing or genealogy kind of thing? You know how they say there, there is a gene, but they don't know to what extent?
1: Absolutely. I'm so glad you brought that up because I, I think that's a kind of interesting part of my story too. So, um, I was actually adopted. Um, uh, my, my oh, okay. family could not have children. And so they, both me and my brother adopted from different biological parents. And, um, I do know my biological mother, um, mm-hmm she does have alcohol use disorder. Um, she has also struggled with drinking her entire life. Uh, and I have two other half sisters, uh, through her, um, that I believe have had their own struggles with it. I, I, I'm not. I, I'm, I shouldn't say that for sure. I'm not positive. It's not something I've really dug into with them. But um, I know for sure that my birth mother has, and so I, I feel like I'm a prime example in the the nature versus nurture uh, conversation where alcohol use disorder is concerned. <clears throat> the home I grew up in, <clears throat> excuse me, um, there was really no drinking. Um, both of my parents uh, are not uh, alcoholic, they do not really, you know, have those addictive personalities. So I didn't grow up in a house with the, the parties and the, you know, none of that. My parents are totally, you know, a glass of wine at Christmas type of people. Um, and so, yeah, it it was not something I was ever exposed to. I really got into that, um, through those teenage years, Um, both because I feel like I was a bit genetically predisposed to it and also because I struggled with a lot of mental health issues right around that time. Um, So I had severe uh, depression with suicidal tendencies, um, a lot of impulsive behavior, running away from home, uh, dropping out of school, all those sort of things that a lot of counselors didn't really, I mean, I, I literally had one Tell me that he thought I was lying about my home life because it could not be that good and me be that screwed up.
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, well, there you go. That's just one opinion, isn't it? That's right. I mean, I did not yeah, see that and we've all got one, that. like a like a you know what? Yeah. Anyway.
1: <laughs> yep. <laughs>
0: but, um, oh look, you've been through so much, and he again with these teenagers. Okay, in the back of your mind, I mean um i don't know if a lot of people know this but my husband and his first wife adopted a little girl from china 10 couples got on a plane and came back with 10 baby girls wow. and yeah that's why i've remained in america and my stepdaughter was three and a half when i met her a darling little thing and i've had the honor of being able to bring her up she's now 24 and for working full time thank goodness and we've had this conversation with her in the MC and wow, you've just blown me out of the water because we've asked her, do you ever wonder? And she says, no, you know, I mean, she looks Chinese. She's got an American accent and she's got just a wicked sense of humor, but she's a darling girl and she's doing really well. And, you know, you have to have wondered. do you think that contributed to you being maybe a bit rebellious because you couldn't find the answers maybe? You know, I have never felt like
1: I have any issues with being adopted. Okay. Um, My, my parents were very, very clear with my brother and I from as young of an age as they could be that we could understand that Mm -hmm. mommy, mommy and daddy couldn't have babies in our bodies, but you are our children, you know, Mm -hmm. and, and they were very transparent with us. And, um, and so when I hit those teenage years, um, I had another, another interesting kind of condition that I'll touch on just a bit because it, it plays into the story a little bit. There's a yeah, couple that are called misophonia and misokinesia. And these two conditions mean that you are highly sensitive to certain sounds and highly sensitive to certain sights. And when I was a teenager, I was experiencing these things and they really hadn't even been identified in the medical community yet. They didn't have a name. And so all we knew was that I could not be around people who were eating or chewing gum or making any of these sort of mouth type sounds without Mm -hmm. completely nuts. It would just make me ballistic. I would be in tears. I would be panicking and angry. I would have to leave the room. And it was the same way with certain visual triggers. And um, so years later, now come to find out this exists, this is a condition and what happens in the brain is that people with this get an unnatural fight or flight response to incorrect stimuli. And so essentially my brain panics when it hears these sounds and it says I'm in danger. And so I have these really, these really unrational reactions to very small things that for most people are just mildly annoying if they even notice them at all. Um, and so because of that, and that of course played in a lot to the depression and the isolation and things as well, we actually decided to try to find my birth mother um, mm-hmm if she had any answers because none of the, none of the psychiatrists or ENT doctors or neurologists, nobody knew what was, what was causing this. And so we hoped that she might know what it was and she might have some answers. And so that's what ultimately drove us to connect with her. So we went through the adoption agency um, and we met in person when I was 16. And, uh, and so that's, I, I have a great I, I have this access to information about my biological family that a lot of adopted people wouldn't. Um, yeah, exactly. Super beneficial. She's actually on my Facebook page now, you know, we're not, we're not super close. Um, it's, it's the adoptive parent, uh, child relationship is, very different for everyone. Um, But ultimately I am extremely grateful to her for the choice that she made. I bear no resentments. I would not be here and would not have the life that I do if she hadn't made the decision she did.
0: And are you close with your sibling, your brother? Has he had the same experience? I'm just curious to know.
1: No, my brother and I are actually very different people. Um,
0: Mm -hmm. Interesting.
1: yeah, he is very health conscious. He, you know, he rides uh his bicycle in these insane, you know, triathlons and to the mountains in Colorado and you know, he's just super super athletic. And um and that has never been my direction. Um I never even played sports in school, you know. I'm just, you know, my 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 bike has a motor. Um <laughs> I let it do
0: the work. It's <laughs> oh, funny. Does that mean uh, that you ride a big bike? Dare I I ride, a I ride a, yeah, I ride a Harley Sportster. Oh, why am I surprised? <laughs> <laughs> oh, why am I not surprised? <laughs> at least say things like that. Oh, God, that's beautiful. Go on, talk about it. I'm sure you're um, badly in like with it, but go on.
1: Oh, yes. Oh, yes. So, yeah, it's my, uh, my brother and I just sort of went different directions. There's no resentment. There's no negativity between. Mm. We're just not, we're not close. We don't do a lot of exchanges or, you know, I, I lean on my friends and my mom, uh, for, for more of those things and my, my relationship as well. Um, you know, for kind of, uh,
0: that emotional support and, and things. Um, So that, here's, here's where I'm curious. Okay. you yeah. have had an, um, and, and you can, you know, add on whatever else, if you want to catch if you want something to go on back and say something else, then I feel like I sort of cut you off a little bit. No, Sorry. you're fine. Was this, you sure? Um, because I, I want to talk about the fact, I know you had, um, you know, these teenage years, where you, my father was so strict with me, I couldn't get out of the house practically. And it always amazes me that these young children tell me, I was 13, I was 14, I was out, I was partying, I was doing this, I was doing that, and I thought, how come I couldn't find a way? My parents had me, Yeah, my best friend had to come to my house to hang out, and we used mm-hmm. to go in the caravan, <laughs> Like, we were monitored like crazy. Sure. So you, I reckon you guys must have been more creative and I was just too scared. I think that's what it was. I was just, you know, because I had a little sister in the house too. She was right. 10 years younger than me. So I was uh, very conservative and I was a goody-goody. Yeah, that probably explains it, dude. Anyway, <laughs> so I'm just, let's talk about, I mean, God bless you. You've obviously got a huge heart. You do rescues too. And and even through those, I, I I resonate with you about loving heartbeats and not fitting in. I mean, it's hard. Teenage years are hard. And I know that you went to therapy. I know you had your Beagle Bruno. I know you passed away and you got the hounds and you do rescue. So I do know this much about you and now I know you ride a Harley. So do you <laughs> want to talk about and we'll go back, I want to go back to sobriety in a little bit more, but I just want you to tell people about what makes you happy now in your sobriety life and also talk a little bit about the slips because there seems to have been, um, I, I want to learn from this. I want to learn the situation you get to where it's happened a couple of times and what do we do when this happens? Sure. found? Because you keep coming back, you're fantastic at getting back, straight back up. So I just want to know how that process goes. Can you take me through it? Absolutely. um, So I would
1: say um, I do live with a a partner who drinks um, and I think in part that did play a bit into the temptation towards drinking again for me. Um, Mm -hmm. I I do not place any blame whatsoever on him for that. I, I tried to explain this in a way that makes sense. When I Every time that I've worked on sobriety, um, like I mentioned, I would surround myself with sober people, right? And all the people in my community would be people who had similar experiences with alcohol to mine. We had all done it to excess. We saw it as a negative thing. And so to have this person in my inner circle who can still enjoy alcohol and can still get that buzz on a Saturday night and it feels good and it relaxes him. And, you know, it's his stress reliever that, that sent this conflicting mind to or conflicting message to my mind, um, about, well, maybe, maybe alcohol is good. And maybe if you just control it, right. So it brought all those questions back, um, that I had had put to bed for myself for a very long time. Um, and so I think that's what sparked the initial thoughts of even going back to drinking. Um, I just lived in a lived in a situation where my beliefs were were essentially questioned right in front of my face, um, and so I had to prove to myself that that was still not the case for me. Um, that you know, every time I try to drink. I don't put it back down. I don't, I don't stop. It goes to the excessive point. It goes to a point where I'm sick and I'm miserable and I'm not my best self. And I'm, you know, I'm hiding it and I feel guilty about it. And it's just always, always a bad scenario for me. Um, But yeah. So the the thing that first kind of pushed to the slip after that long bunk there was, was the questioning of, has it been long enough? Can I control this? Right. And then when I recognize, no, I obviously can't, I'm a train wreck. This is horrible. I get myself off of it again. Then it goes back to what I, I talked about on that post, which was, I, I I relate it to what I've heard about labor and I can't say it for myself because I've never had children of my own, but I hear women say, you forget how bad labor is when you decide to have another children, another child.
0: Yeah, they do, And I think, they?
1: Right? Like you have yeah. to, or else nobody mm. would ever go through it a second time. um. <laughs> Uh, And I feel like I experienced something similar with drinking. Like I just start glorifying it in my head. And that would be a great way to unwind this weekend. And it's been such a stressful weekend. It'll make me relax. It'll make me feel good. Um, And then it's really, it's just that, that point, because I can still hit that point today, right? The difference is I don't allow myself to take the action, on that
0: right right okay
1: yeah so the the difference between the two paths is not letting myself get in the car and drive to the liquor store
0: yeah I hear you so you hear and basically you acknowledge the tricks I call it the devil trickster voice because it is the bloody devil trickster voice Mm -hmm. because it's lurking right but you do not take the action I think that is absolutely you know the key Um, and I've heard this week Actually, someone was telling me a story in a Zoom yesterday where they were actually out at a romantic dinner and actually ordered the wine mm-hmm. and was getting involved in the moment, took this, took a sip and then realised at that particular point, what am I doing, and put it back down. That is such a crucial point right there. Yeah. Took action, was aware, took action, turned it around, a bit like Annie Grace's act, put it back, gave it to whoever else was there, and I thought, wow, that's what is the critical moment, right? And you just actually said exactly the same thing there. So thank you for sharing that. That's the point that's gonna help a lot of people out there. Sure. It's oh it's that's when you're facing, like I call it facing the devil eye to eye, with about two inches next to you. And who's gonna win? I'm in the I'm in the arena, I've got the sword in my hand, I've got the battle, and it's like, okay. Only one of us is coming out alive. you know what yep. I mean? Yep. And it really Absolutely. is. It's at hell's door. So great. And that is terrific. And you are doing so, so well. And what else? I mean, you go to the Zooms. and Now you've got also, you've come into this in community and you have now, you're supporting other women as well. And this is the beautiful thing about the I Am Server community, listeners, if you are out there and you are alone Join the app because we do have we have smaller women's and men's groups, we have mixed Zooms, we have gender zooms. It is fantastic out there. You can stay connected. And I mean, in my 16 months next week, I have made so many sober friends. And mm-hmm. I've not I've met a couple, but it's amazing. I was going through the other day, and it's amazing how many people that we get to know on and, and, and travel this path. And some drop off and come back. But you know more than you do. It's amazing. It is. It's such a wonderful community. Yeah. And I thought I was all alone, you know. I was like, I never had children. So I don't know about the pain. And, um, but, you know, I just, my heart goes out to them because I'm a huge empath. But, yeah, don't take the action. That's such a good point, MMC. What else would you like to tell the listeners about what you've learned? Because, I mean, I've not been to rehab. Did you learn anything valuable when you were in there? Because I believe it's about working it because I work a bit of everything, you know, whatever, sure. whatever community I'm in. Yeah.
1: So the one that I went to was 12 step based. So we went to right. a daily AA meeting um, and you had kind of group sessions and things. Um, you know, I, I wouldn't say that it necessarily taught me anything I haven't already gotten from the the tools outside of it. Um, mm-hmm. It just, it just really reinforced the need to continue to talk about these things, continue to put it out there. Um, if you're having an urge, say something, you know, it's it, yeah. it's massive to get that out and get the support um, rather than feeling alone. Like you said, I think a lot of us feel alone in that struggle. Um, and and so, you know, that really for me, rehab was. An amazing break from life. Um, and so it was great that I, I had the resources, I had the ability at that time to just do that and not worry about work and not worry about home. And just, I mean, you're you're really isolated. There was no cell phones, there was no, you just were with the people you were there with. And it was, it was like a, a vacation from my life. Um, And so it was a great way for me to kind of hit the reset button and get past the worst of the withdrawals, get, you know, get to where I I had my head back on my shoulders again, and and I could go back in. Um, But leaving there, I think it was key. To continue to have a plan afterwards, and that's where I went back and did those ninety and ninety days, and got a sponsor and connected with people. Um, that's that's just the number one takeaway for me is the connection. Um, the other big thing that's really helped me on the IAS group is the the communications on Discord and Telegram. Um, mm-hmm. Or, you know unrelated apps, but a lot of the people in this community use those, um, and so I I now admin a couple of ladies chat groups on Telegram, um, and there's you know women on there. Uh, Posting uh, daily readings that we share and communicating about our, our successes and our struggles and the good, the bad and the ugly, you know, and it's it's real time conversations with people that understand what I've been through that can be my cheerleaders when I need it. And that, like you said, I can turn around then and, and help them. I think there's there's something incredibly
0: fulfilling in helping other people. Um. Absolutely, uh, you know what it is—giving back, you know. And I, I was just thinking, like, I know I get just as much out of it, mm-hmm. you know, by just being here and listening to everybody else, because I just find everybody's story so valid and, and just fascinating. Everyone's yes, so different, is. but we have this huge common bond, you know. And I'm just reading here, just so I'm going back to just we went through Christmas. That was okay. January, you sort of did what you did. Then you were talking about the dream with the woman that airbrushed the flat tire bicycle on your <laughs> chest. But you said, the image moved like a cartoon. And I've got, well, what did you make of that? Did, what did you make of that at the time? Because our dreams are crazy, aren't they? The oh, like God, early sobriety dreams are amazing. <laughs> oh. and I, oh God. I have
1: always been a vivid dreamer anyways, but, but mm. I'm first kind of, you know, the first probably – two to three months after, after getting that shit out of my system again, they are just a wild ride. Um, I don't know. I, I think the fat tire thing came in because we we'd been talking about a fat tire ad or something. For some reason, fat tire was, was came across my radar. <laughs> Um, Mm. And I remembered reading years ago that the employees of Fat Tire, if they'd been there for 10 years or something, they get that bicycle. And I was like, oh, that's kind of a cool employee benefit. And that little nugget was just tucked away in my brain, waiting to pop back up in a very bizarre dream where tattoos...
0: Because you do have some beautiful art, MNC, a lot of the young, um, the ladies in the community, you know, and people are are getting more and more art, you know, celebrating their sobriety in different ways. And I'm going to move on and quote a few more things from you because I actually love this one. You said, wow, you said, I saw this quote and it punched me in the guts. It was April 1, and this is when I wrote No Fool's Joke. In any given moment, we have two options. Number one, we step forward into growth. Or number two, you stepped back into safety, and I just went. I felt the punch too. MMC, yes,
1: mm. I, I love wow. it. it. Was not an April Fool's joke. That that true? No, out. no, so it certainly um, was not. And wow. you know- the interesting thing about that one, because it, it caught, it sparked some conversation down in in the thread. And the interesting thing about that is, normally when we think of the word safety, we think of it as a good thing, right? Safety is generally a positive thing. But in the context of this particular quote, safety is really saying not growing, right? It's saying that we're staying in the comfortable rather than pushing out to to grow and to become better humans and to you know see what what opportunities are available for us out there. Um, and so it was kind of interesting in the light of not necessarily thinking of safety on the same plan as good, but safety more on the plane of of potentially not meeting your full potential. Um,
0: yeah, yeah, I really liked that one. No, that was terrific. And then um, I just want the listeners to know you have a, a beautiful pet that begins with A. I don't. I want you to tell the listeners what beautiful pet you have that you posted in April just recently.
1: Oh, it's it is not. You took it to work. <laughs>
0: this this was another dream. Oh. What? Oh, it was a dream. Well, it was a. It, I thought the photo was yours. I thought. God, what does she do with this thing? Where does she keep it? I'm like, it's wild. Like, it should be a wild. Oh, no, well, in this really fabulous
1: awesome. dream, I had a an armadillo. Oh, here we go. Oh. That, that was the size of a large dog.
0: And it's <laughs> <That's- laughs> oh, it the coolest thing. But yeah, it's <laughs> <laughs> because I'm thinking a giant armadillo. Is there such a thing? I must have said that is hilarious, and I think I missed the word dream. I'm thinking you had it in real life. <laughs> so I is, would absolutely get an people? armadillo.
1: I would totally do that. Oh
0: yeah, they're cool. Yeah. Oh, anyway, I just I, I, lo- I just loved you posting that. See, sobriety, people, this is what happens. My memory, I tell you, it goes in and out. It fades oh, yes. in like the waves. It comes and it goes. And I'm in emotional sobriety. So uh, please forgive me when I do make these hiccups, people. And we yeah. do. We have great forgiveness in our community. <laughs> our memories slip up. Um, and honestly, but, but the other thing, I, and look, I'm with you on this. I, I'm with you on this one, you said. My mum once said to me, Deborah, darling, she said, do you know what the definition of someone who, who has a drinking problem is? And I said, no, what, mum? And she said, uh, someone who starts and just cannot stop. And <laughs> with that, I was walking to a fridge, I think, or my bedroom to get another drink. Um, so that sort of was a, you know, and I remember being young, like really like, like young. But yeah. um, you said here, every time I try to drink, I don't put it down. And then we end up with all the negative feelings the next day. So I thought to myself, and I said this in my last podcast because sometimes I have to repeat myself because, you know, I'm a bit boring sometimes, but it's true. So what I did, I thought, right, I'm going to stop drinking at 8 o'clock at night, and then I haven't got a problem. (laughs) Right. Right. Absolutely. I did, did. and I stopped drinking every night at 8 o'clock just to prove to my mum that I didn't have a problem. Except for when I was out and about, and of course the excuses came in, oh, we're out Friday night, oh, well, binge, next one, next, do you know what I mean? You're of so course. back to where you started so quickly, and yes. I keep going back in MC, you know, I'm 60 this year, and I keep going back thinking, when, and I keep going back further, and further, because at 18 in Australia, you get your car, you mm-hmm. can drink, and it's like, oh, my car lasted two the first one two months before I wrote it off, but I hadn't been drinking. But you know, it's it's a wild combination, and it's a disaster. You know, it's a disaster if you. We were obviously responsible as hell. You know, going back forty years ago, mm. and that's one good thing about sobriety. Now I feel like I can trust myself. I know I'm responsible at the moment, and I'm making good decisions. How do you feel? Your day fifty is it or day fifty one? Fifty one today. Yay! Congratulations. Thank you. But. If did you? I, want, I should have said to you before. Did you add up all your days? You should have added them all up since you first started posting. Maybe I'd like you to do that and tell me because that would be interesting. Yeah. Gosh. I don't know if it's too hard, but um, yeah, you might, you know, because it's really interesting to know that. Okay, I've been on the app for, you know, X amount of time, and this is what sure. I've spent alcohol-free, and yeah. Yeah. So it will probably, sure, yeah. probably take me a minute to, to try to add all that together. But well, I, it's a good exercise one day when you're not feeling it, you know what definitely, I mean? Like definitely. that's why I do those sort of things. Mm.
1: Ballpark. I would say probably 80
0: to 85% of the time. Yeah. So there you go. There I you have go. not been uh, drinking. That's massive. Was, yeah, it is. And just to, to absolutely condone your point and, and we say it a lot about the connection. Um, the, you know, the mixed Zooms we do the, through the community, the unofficial ones, the Sober Squad ones. Mm-hmm. And they said they had the original people there. It was two years that they'd started the Zooms and almost three-quarters, I think he said, no, sorry, two-thirds, I beg your pardon, the people were still sober. So that connection people work So if you're not connected, mm-hmm. listeners, get connected out there. Yeah. So mm-hmm. I've really enjoyed this. What else would you like to say to the listeners? Anything else before we go? Because, I'm, I mean, we could have, we can keep going for hours and hours and maybe, <clears> maybe you'd like to come back. But, um, yeah, just leave them with something really good because you're such a positive lady. We love having you in the community, and I've just really enjoyed this. Oh,
1: this is wonderful. Thank you. I, um, I, I guess the one other big thing that I'd probably touch on is just um, my, my rescue life. Um, because that's such a major part of, of who I am. And that's another thing that I just cannot do when I'm drinking, um, you know, and it it comes into that responsibility piece and all responsibilities become lower priority. And, you know, the idea of spending eight hours on the road in a car with a massive hangover is just, you know, daunting, um, but yeah, I, I do have, so my boyfriend and I have seven dogs together and these are all ours. Um, so <laughs> yeah,
0: it, it's a oh, zoo. Wow, it's so <laughs> I love the heartbeats go
1: on. That's right. A whole lot of heartbeats, a whole lot of dog food and a whole lot of vet bills, but, um, you know, it's, they're just amazing. And the unconditional love you get from dogs is, is just, there's nothing quite like it. Um, but you know, because our pack grew so much, it's really difficult for me to foster anymore. I, I started out fostering about 10 years ago uh, for a couple of the local rescues. And it's just too hard on our dogs to have strange dogs coming and going a lot. It kind of riles them up and gets everybody excited. So instead of that, Uh, I volunteer and I drive transports for dogs. So New Mexico uh, is really, really inundated with homeless animals. We have big backyard breeding problems and stray problems and our rescues and our shelters are just over overflowing all the time. And so some of our surrounding states have better spay and neuter programs in place. They don't have the overpopulation problems that we do and they have more resources. And so there are numerous uh, organizations that help transport these animals and they pull them from our shelters or bad situations, bad homes, and they get them into these rescues in other states. And the way a transport works is that you sign up for a couple legs. And I mean, we've had dogs go from, you know, Georgia to California to, you know, just across the country. Um, And you just sign up and take, you know, one or two legs around your neighborhood. And drive these dogs a ways and then you meet the next transporter and you trade them off and they get in their car and they continue their journey that way. And so it's, it's again, this amazing network of people who volunteer their time, um, you know, just for the love of animals and knowing that there's a need. Um, and getting out there and doing it. And so that's, that is a a major passion of mine. Um, It doesn't hurt that I also enjoy road trips. So uh, I'm (laughs) able to combine two of my loves there.
0: (laughs) I was going to say, you almost need an RV and just throw them in and on the road again. (laughs) No
1: kidding. And there are, there are dog buses there, you know, these, these larger transport companies have just amazing setups. Um, But for me, it's just, you know, it did play a part into choosing my last vehicle, which is an SUV, just because yeah. I
0: sure I can fit kennels in there. So, well, it's a beautiful thing you're doing, and I want to thank you too because <clears throat> you and our little Dev, you know, you rescue and you help, the, you know, the fair furry friends, and I mean, they are they're our unconditional love. And Absolutely. so, is there anything else before we say goodbye? Because I'm gonna I'm gonna round it up and. Yeah, let you get back to getting on with life. Okay, well, it was a pleasure, as I said. I want to thank you so much for your time. And I certainly learned a lot today, too, and I'm really glad that we talked about, you know, the awareness and just please do your best not to take action. Um, I want to just, you know, just say one thing. I just want to say this is in honour of my friend Carl. Um, I lost him today and... um, Yeah, I only found out an hour beforehand, listeners. So just say a prayer for Carl. And, mate, I'll see you on the other side. We had a good time. God bless and rest in peace. Abs, I'm sorry. Definite prayer's coming. Thank you, sweetheart. All right, I love you, listeners. I'll see you next time. All right.